2008 World Champions of Baseball. The Philadelphia Eagles are Super Bowl champions. Eagles fans everywhere, this is for you. Now entering the game for Philly Press Box Radio, Bill Furman and Jim Chet Chesko. Hey, 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 it's Wednesday, October 21st, 2020, this fabulous year of 2020. Welcome to the Philly Press Box Radio Roundtable, brought to you by the Irish Rover Station House in Langhorne, Pennsylvania, and Allstate Insurance in Westchester, PA. Bill Furman is off this week. I'm Jim Chesko. Call me Chet, and there's plenty of football talk on the agenda this time around. Yes, they're 1-4-1, and but the Eagles can really move into first place by percentage points in the wonderful NFC least with a win over the visiting Giants Thursday night. And we have Penn State football to discuss as well with a great guest joining us to do so in just one minute. All right, I mentioned that my radio partner of the past six and a half years is not on the show this week. And as some people may already know, it's because Bill sadly lost his mom Tuesday afternoon. So he is home taking care of the family, making all the necessary arrangements, of course. And I know all of our listeners, as I do, offer condolences on the passing of Bill's mother. All the best, Bill, Mary, Chris, Billy, Mike, and the rest of the Furman family. So, as I said, it is mostly football talk this week. Freddie Burns of Edge of Philly Sports visits in the second half of the show to talk Eagles, fantasy football, and much more. But up first, we have someone making his first visit to this show. He's someone that I was on a show with a couple of years back at Wildfire Radio down in South Jersey. He's a former NFL player with the Redskins, as they were called then, and Cowboys. We won't hold that against him. But he also played at my alma mater. <laughs> and was part of that great, unbeaten 1994 Penn State Nittany Lions team as a defensive tackle, Brandon Noble. Hey, Brandon, how the heck, how the heck are you? I'm doing well, Chad. How are you, man? I'm doing just great. I, as I said before the show, I know you're a very busy guy, so I appreciate you taking some time for the show here. We're going to try to cover as much as we can in our 20 minutes together. First of all, are you still coaching the defense over Downingtown East? I am. I am still the defensive coordinator. Coach Matta has not fired me yet. Um, uh, I uh, I love it. You know, I've, I've been doing it for about uh, three years now. When I got out of college coaching, I guess four or five years ago, maybe I got I don't know, maybe it was more than that. Uh, I uh, I stayed. I, I spent maybe a year, maybe the, the only year that I haven't been on the football field since I was probably about ten years old. Uh, spent it. Uh, I actually was I was coaching at Marsh Creek, which is a pop Warner league out here. My youngest son was playing there. And, Coach Matta um, asked me, my, my oldest boy was a sophomore at the time at, uh, at East, and he asked me if I wanted to come on board and help out with the defense. And I did it for a year. Connor's first uh, sophomore year, I was, I was just kind of an assistant and popped in and out. And then uh, the next year, he, uh, he made me defensive coordinator. And so I've been there for, for three years total. This is going on year four. Uh, three of them is the D.C., and, and I absolutely love it. It's a blast. All right. That's awesome. All right, so, Brandon, it's late October, but we do finally get some Penn State football beginning this weekend with a road game at Indiana. It'll be a season, of course, unlike any other, thanks to the pandemic. I know you get out to State College every week for a little TV show that we'll talk about later on. What is the excitement level about this very different football season out in Happy Valley? Well, you know what it is? It's it's bizarre up there right now, right? Like, I've been going Mm, up, like you said, I go up to do the obligatory uh, you know, I'm up there once a week and have been up there once a week for like six or seven weeks now. And it's really weird up there. Uh, it, it feels almost, for, for those of us that went to school there, it feels like summer session, like that intercession, right, where nobody's on campus. Mm. And, and there's this kind of this, like, there's, there's people, but it's not like fall. Do you know what I mean? Like, it's not like thousands of people all over Beaver Ave and College Ave and walking on and off campus. So, so it's definitely weird. Um, I think that's the nicest way to put it. And, um, but, but I think from a, from a fan base perspective, from, from just Penn Staters, you know, people that love the Nittany Lions and love Penn State football, I, I think that the excitement level um, and, and, and the excitement level and maybe, you know, the feeling of gratitude that we're actually going to have a football season this year uh, is boiling over right now. Well, I've been at Beaver Stadium when there's been, you know, 100,000-plus fans, and it's an amazing atmosphere. What is the latest? Are there going to be any fans allowed at all later in the season or not? As far as I know, no. 
no. I, I do not believe that we're going to get any fans. I know that they've, you know, I think a lot of that has to do with Governor Wolf and uh, and his restrictions. Um, so, so no. And, and if they do, you know, I know that the initial plans when they were talking about having fans in the stands uh, was, you know, it was 20% or 25% or whatever it was, and it was mostly like students and then season ticket holders. Um, you know, I'd, I'd heard rumors that they were trying to say that the, uh, you know, the, um, the luxury boxes, the suites up there didn't count as being, you know, there was two different facilities. So they could right. have people in there too. So, you know, I mean, look, I, I do think that people, um, you know, that, that people would love to go, you know, but at the same time, like, I, I just don't think from, from the way that everybody is carrying on up there, um, you know, I, I don't think they're going to let it happen. I really don't going to be weird seeing them play Ohio State on Halloween night in an empty stadium, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. No, I, look, I'm, I, I don't even know. I mean, I guess they did it for TV, right? But, like, when I found out they were kicking in the evening, I was like, oh, man, that's terrible. Um, look, we used, to, we used to scrimmage in Beaver Stadium in the spring or even in the summer before football, before, um, you know, the season started during camp. You'd have spring ball scrimmages, and it is horrible in there when it's empty. I mean, it is, it is it echo, like, it's just not right. You know, when, you, when you're used to running out there, and, you know, when I played there, it was, a, I don't know, 97 or 106,000 or whatever it was, um, you know, a lot of people. And then all of a sudden you're in there by yourself, right, and it's just big echo chamber. And, you know, it just it's, there's no energy. That, that to me, is really going to be the interesting thing as you watch the Big Ten play, because I think most Big Ten stadiums are not allowing fans. As when you watch the SEC play right now and you watch, um, you know, the ACC, they're, they're allowing some fans. Like you watch some of those schools down south, right? Like they're almost full stadiums. So, yep. so I think it's just going to be weird to, to watch or for the kids to go play. That will be an interesting um, kind of thing to, to pay attention to over the course of the season, right? What teams are handling it the best? Because college football is emotional. They're 18 to 22-year-old kids. They love that. The reason they go to a lot of these schools, especially our school and places like Ohio State and Michigan, is for that atmosphere. Um, and when you go out and play in front of nobody, like, it's hard sometimes to bring your own juice. Um, so it'll be interesting. Like I said, I've called a couple NFL games that have had, um, you know, five, 7,000 people in it. I just did the Ravens at the Eagles this week. And, you know, they, they finally let some folks into the link, and it was still weird. You know what I mean? The pros yeah. know how to handle that. Like, it's not as big a deal for a – 32-year-old guy that's been in the league for eight years. So I think that'll be really interesting to see how the kids react to playing in an empty stadium. So let's talk about this team. Coach James Franklin has 12 returning starters, but not All-America linebacker Micah Parsons, who opted out. Uh, the star defensive end, Gross Matos, is now a Carolina Panther. A couple of big losses there on defense, are they not? Yeah, oh, absolutely. And look, I, I, I think that you know, losing Gross Matos was big, but he kind of, and I'm not, not knocking the kid, but like he, he, he disappeared a little bit late last year, um, you know, and he's having a heck of a rookie year with the, with the Panthers. You know what I mean? Like I said, I just, I think the, the big guy that you lose, right, is, is Micah. And the reason why to me, two things. Number one, I 100% agree with his decision, 100%. Like I get it. Mm-hmm. Go make your money. I'm 100% for it. I've been in that business. You got a short time to capitalize on it. I think to me the, the thing that I will miss most is that Micah Parsons, for as talented, physically gifted as he is, still had not played his best football at that position, right? You know what I mean? Like towards the end of the year, he started becoming the dominant linebacker that you thought he would be because of what he has physically. And I really look forward to watching him play this year because we were going to get a full season of Micah playing linebacker at this ridiculous level, hopefully, and just to be able to enjoy that, watching him do it in the blue and white out there on Beaver Stadium or, you know, wherever. Um, and and, and that, that part I'm going to miss. And, look, defensively they're going to miss him, right? I mean, that's a guy that, that went out and they were anticipating was going to be their big playmaker this year. And so you've lost him. I, I think the good thing is you've got, a, you've got a linebacking core that is very, very good still. There's some young guys that are going to step in and play. Um, you know, but, but, but you're not going to have like that superstar LeVar Arrington type guy. Yeah. I'm hearing some good things though about Brandon Smith, who could be a star in the making. We shall see. 
Uh, we got some troubling news Monday night. Running back Journey Brown, who led the team with 890 rushing yards last year, could miss the season with some sort of medical issue. Do you know any more about that? And who is there to pick up those yards? Is Noah Kane going to be the guy? Well, yeah, I, I think that, you know, when, when you talk about that, you know, man, you know, obviously anything like that is scary, especially, especially right now. You know what I mean? Like you, don't, you don't know what's going on. Um, right. With with kind of anything, right? You know, did you know you hear about you know how how COVID can have some some long term effects um, on kids? And I'm not saying that he had it or I know, right? But you know, when you start hearing those kinds of things, you go, man. Um, and it's the right thing to do. You know what I mean? Like for him, you know, obviously for his his you know health. Um, the the bad thing is obviously we'll miss the guy that I think was going to be really really good uh, and and maybe my favorite guy in the backfield there. Um, you know, coming into this season, I, I do think that Noah Kane is a guy that you know you're going to have to that you're going to have to really really lean on. Um, I think Devin Ford's in there. You know, I mean, look, mm-hmm. it's a it's a it's a room um, that is very talented, and and what it does, I, I think they've got a couple of young guys too. Um, yeah, I think there's Lee, there's another guy, Holmes, uh, and Devin Ford. I mean, you got four guys in that room that are all like four or five star running backs and guys that were expected to play a role this year. So now it's just kind of next man up, right? You know what I mean? You are, you know, Noah, here's your, here's your shot. And if you look at how they ran the ball last year with that group, right? The same thing. They had four talented running backs in that room. Uh, you know, they, they definitely uh, played the hot hand. They definitely gave everybody an opportunity. Uh, and, and so, so no, look, I mean, does it, does it stink? Absolutely. I feel terrible for journey. Um, and, and it's another guy that you think, man, you know, 2020 just, uh, you know, robbed us of the ability to watch that kid play for us. Um, there's also a new offensive coordinator, Kirk Shiraka, is that his name? And uh, will the offense yeah. change much under him? Well, yeah, so, so I don't know if, if like, like me, you watched Penn State lose to Minnesota last year. Um, yeah. And Minnesota's offense, Kirk Shiraka was Minnesota's offensive coordinator. And – I do think that the offense is going to change a lot. Um, mm. Ricky Ronnie is gone. Uh, he's on the ODU. You know, he's the head coach down there. They're not playing. He was the OC there the last couple of years. You're going to – and Ricky was more of a spread uh, a spread guy, right? You know, split the formation out wide. Even Pat Fryermuth, you know what I mean? He was going to be out in the slot or out of the number one. Soraka is going to have – at Minnesota, uh, multiple tight ends in the game. He's going to play with a fullback sometimes at H-back. Uh, it's going to be run the football, play action pass, take deep shots. Uh, I'm really, really excited to watch this offense because I think we've got a ridiculously talented tight end group um, with Pat Fryermuth coming back especially. And I think it'll be really neat to watch how Soraka uses Fryermuth. And then the other thing, you know, the, the other hire that was big is, is I think it's Phil Troutwine, who's the new, <coughs> excuse me, the new O-line coach. And he comes from Boston College. And so I think the combination of a, of a run-first emphasis offense with a new offensive line coach who comes from a school that develops offensive linemen, right? BC is not known for its wide receivers or its defensive backs. It is known for offensive linemen, running backs, and quarterbacks, right? And so, so Troutline comes from there. He's got a great playing background. Um, so I'm really excited to see – what they're able to put together with this group. And, and if there's any piece of the puzzle that needs to fall into place this year, it's the offensive line. You've got Sean Clifford coming back. He does, um, you know, he, he's got a year under his belt. But, like, that O-line is going to make or, break the, make or break the season to me. I mean, that's it. If the O-line plays better, they're gonna be, they're gonna, they've got a shot to, to run the table in the Big Ten. And I mean that sincerely. They, they can beat Ohio State if the O-line plays better. Well, the Eagles, so, the Eagles yeah, know all about offensive line problems. The Eagles could use an offensive line right now, so I know how important that is. Uh, they, they want to protect Sean Clifford, of course. What do you expect from the quarterback this year? Well, look, I think he's going to be even better. You know, I mean, look, at the end of the day, like, like the guy's got a year under his belt. So now all those, all those reads that he was a little bit – and he wasn't bad last year, you know, as a, as a, as a his first year starting. Like, the kid played really well. So I think you go into the season with a guy that has a lot of confidence – He's run a high-powered offense. He's been there before. Um, and, I, again, I, I think that this offense is going to be really friendly to a quarterback. You know, it's going to be run the football, get him on the edge, play action pass, bootleg, um, you know, max protect, deep shots. 
you know, all these different things that, that, that Soraka did at Minnesota, uh, you know, I, I think Clifford's going to have a great year. Again, all depending on that offensive line. Let's go back to the early 90s, Brandon. You went to Penn State, missed the entire 1993 season with a broken leg, lost a bunch of weight. You came back there. You got in good health for what turned out to be, of course, a memorable 1994 season, a perfect 12-0. and The majority of the voters, though, made Nebraska the national champion. I'm sure that didn't sit too well with you. Well, no, it didn't sit well with anybody. <laughs> uh, you know, it, it, was, it was definitely um, one of those things where, you know, we, we, we thought – you know, I, you know, it's a, it's, a, it's a weird. I tell people this story all the time. Um, that that game, right? So the, the Rose Bowl is a weird game, anyways. Uh, you know, LA is a, a different place. It's, it's not kind of you know, it's not your traditional, typical kind of bowl experience. Um, so we, you know, you go out there and it's kind of this weird bowl. There's a lot of pressure and, and a lot of you know, you're you're excited about it. And you go out and you play, you play the you play the Ducks, right? You play Oregon. At the time, Oregon wasn't the Oregon that we all know now, right? And, uh, and so, so, you know, you go out, you play the Ducks, but the night before you're in the hotel and you're watching Miami play Nebraska. And as the game's going on, you know, Nebraska has, Nebraska has their way with, with them. And, and, and at the end of the game, they basically give the national championship right there to Nebraska. Yeah. And so we go out and we absolutely put it on the Ducks. You know I mean? We, we win the Rose bowl. And then what should be one of those moments that you you remember forever and ever, right? Like one of those like celebrations in a locker room. I mean, look, I played football for 20 years and that was as close as I ever came to winning any sort of championship, you know, and that was taken from me. You know, it was, it was, it was something that was, uh, you know, was, was, was kind of robbed from us. So, so yeah, I mean, it was definitely a, uh, it was definitely a, 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 you know, (laughs) it was, it was shitty. You know what I mean? Like at the end of the day, I hope you can bleep that out. But that's, you know, that's that's what it was. Yeah, as a Penn State alum, I know the feeling. Believe me. Hey, I didn't uh, tell you, I didn't realize this until yesterday. But your final game, speaking of bowl games, was the New Year's Day 1997 Fiesta Bowl, Penn State crushing Texas, and you were the defensive player of the game. I just discovered that's a pretty nice honor. Yeah, it was. I don't think they had anybody else to give it to though. So that's kind of <laughs> I, that's, I kind of joke about that. You know what I mean? But no. But man, I I had a great career at Penn State. I I had an amazing time. You know, it was definitely, you know, one of those deals where you know I, there were some ups and downs early in my career. I redshirted. You know, like you mentioned, I broke my leg. You know, I kind of had to fight my way onto the field. Those kinds of things. And then you know to to end it, you know, as a, as a basically almost a three year starter, and then go out, you know, beating Texas in the Fiesta Bowl, getting the defensive MVP. Um, it was pretty awesome. I mean, look, I, I got no complaints about my experience. My college football experience was, was a great one. Any special memories of Joe Paterno? I made a lot of them. You know, I think the thing about Joe, and, and this, you know, the thing with Joe is obviously, you know, it was, he was hard on you. And he, he was hard on you for a reason. And, I, you know, I don't know. I, I, I thought a lot about him, obviously, over, over the course of my life and the things that I learned there uh, sure. from him playing for him. And, and, and he really was like a father, right? You know, so, you know, my parents dropped me off in state college in 1992. You know, I basically don't go home until 1997. Um, and you kind of go through this process with Joe where, like, when you're young, uh, he's super hard on you. You know, they're, they're always, you know, every little thing is nitpicked, all the tiny little details and those things. And as you get older, and especially if you bought into the program and you're, you know, you're, you're doing the right things, you know, it slowly becomes a little bit more of a, of a – um, you know, a, a, a relationship, right? A, a good, you know, a, a more of a, a close relationship. And then when you leave, that's when you really, really get to know the guy. You know what I mean? When you come back and you talk to him and you, and you, you know, you, you go, you know, you go back and you visit and you walk in the door and his door's always open, right? You just walk right in, you call him Joe, sits down, and, and he, he can talk to you about anything that's been going on. And, I, I, you know, when I was at Penn State, you weren't allowed to have any facial hair. You could grow a mustache, right? But there weren't a lot of 17, 18 year old kids that wanted to grow a mustache. And then there were a couple, but don't get me wrong, but, but uh, you couldn't have earrings. You couldn't do any of that kind of stuff. And so you were always super paranoid that you weren't going to have quite close enough of a shave when you went into, uh, went into a team meeting or something like that. And so when I got into the NFL, uh, I started growing a beard. I grew my hair out. I had long, you know, long hair and a beard and, and uh, I remember going back, and this was—I don't know—I was—I was, I had been out of school for probably seven, eight years at the time. And I remember going back to state college, and I had this huge beard. 
I go back into the building, and I did. I like I I knew that if I saw him, I was going to get in trouble, right? And at this point, I'm like 30 years old, <laughs> and and I knew, and so I'm literally sneaking around the building, like hiding from him, trying not to bump into him. And it wasn't that I didn't want to talk to him. I just I knew that he was going to yell at me. And, and like I'm, I'm a dad, right? I've been married for a while. Like I'm an adult, and uh, and and sh- sure as shit, I I come walking around the corner, and there he is. And he looks at me, and he just immediately, oh, you can't afford a razor anymore. What's going on? And he literally, like, he literally, like, berates me all the way down to his office, you know what I mean, about not shaving and what I look like and this, that, and the other. And then we sit down in the office, and he asks me how my parents are. They're still in Virginia Beach. You know, where's, your, where's Casey, my little sister? You know, is, is Barry Till still overweight? You know what I mean? All these, like, little tiny details that he remembered about you um, they were just amazing when you think about the amount of people that he coached. And, and, the, the, and when, what really hit me, Chet, you know, just to, to finish with Joe, right, is like I got to go to his funeral. And when I went to his funeral, you know, at the time I was, you know, you know uh, late 30s, I guess, maybe give or take a year or two, mid to late 30s. I guess it was mid 30s. I don't even know how old I am right now. Uh, <laughs> but, you know, you go to the funeral and you go to the viewing. And you're standing there, right? And I'm like, there are guys that played for Joe that are like my dad's age. Sure. Maybe a little bit younger than my dad, right? And then there are guys that are 18 years old that were just playing for him, mm-hmm. right? And there's this huge span. And you go, my God, like the amount of men that he helped shape um, was really – I mean, it was, it was one of those moments where you really, to me, I saw how big it was. Right, and what he did up there for us um, was was right there. You know what I mean? Like, I just remember standing there and being like, my God. You know what I mean? Like, this is incredible. You know, it'll, it'll never happen again. You know, they're, they're, that kind of tenure at a school will never happen again. Um, and, uh, and that's a shame because he had a, a great effect on a lot of people. So, Brandon, i got about 100 more questions, but I'm going to pick three of them because we're running out of time. <laughs> um, in the NFL, Sounds you played good. with the- – Two rivals, the Cowboys and then the Washington football team, known then as the Redskins. Yeah. You, had, you had eight and a half sacks over your career. Who was the most prominent quarterback you sacked? I, you know what? I sacked Dan Marino, which I think Ooh. is pretty cool. <laughs> uh, yeah. I, I got, you know, we live, in, we live in Philly now, which, uh, you know, obviously playing for the Cowboys and the Redskins uh, doesn't go over well, but I'm, I'm married <laughs> to a girl from Delco, and so that's how it works. Um, but, uh but yeah, I, I got Dan Marino, my my rookie, my, my first year in Dallas in 99, Thanksgiving Day. Uh, I got to sack Dan Marino. That, that was pretty cool. Awesome. A um, couple of years ago, I was looking through some channels that I didn't even know I had, and I came across the obligatory PSU pregame show. I never even knew about it until then. Shame on me. But now I DVR it every week. Quite an interesting quartet you have on there, Brandon. You guys do a great job. For people who haven't seen it, tell us about the obligatory PSU pregame show. Man, that, that's hilarious. Channels that you didn't know you had. I always joke, <laughs> yes. you know, we're on the Ocho. Do you know what I mean? Like, people are like, yeah, I didn't know yeah. I had this channel. And what do you, I, I, that's awesome. But, no, hey, look, I appreciate it. And, uh, you know, it's a TV show. There, there's four of us, uh, Chris Buchanani, Kevin Horn, are both kind of like the true fans, right? They're both Penn Staters through and through. They went to school there. One, Kevin's a lawyer. Um, Chris graduated from the, the um, uh, School of Journalism or Communications or something like that. And, then we got Mike the Mailman, who if you're a Penn Stater, you know who he is. He's a, he's a legend up there, um, yep. you know, worked at the post office forever and ever and knows everybody, literally knows everybody. Um, and we started doing this show in somebody's backyard. And it was really just kind of like a let's give it a shot, uh, drinking some beer and, and grilling, you know, grilling some, some sausage and some burgers and basically talking football. And it kind of has morphed into this thing. We started out on YouTube. Uh, we went to Pennsylvania Cable Network, PCN. Uh, and then next thing you know, we're, we're syndicated on all those kind of random um, channels, you know, mm-hmm. that, that need some programming that, that have a, a, you know, a footprint in, in the Penn State fan base kind of, ge- you know, geographical region. Uh, and we're in like 30 million households now, man. It, it's been an absolute blast. Gives me an opportunity to go up there every week, talk about the place that I love uh, with, with some other guys that, that love it just as much, if not more than I do. I mean, it, it's a lot of fun. We've, we're in season, good, goodness, I think this is five now, um, which, is, which is crazy. You know, like I said, when you think about, like, we came from literally doing it in somebody's backyard on YouTube. 
Yeah, it's really good, really good. And finally, did I see that you opened up a restaurant in Newtown Square the other day? I did. Yeah, I did. Uh, right before the world decided to end, uh, a buddy of mine reached out to me and said, hey, you want to buy a couple of my partners out in our, in our restaurant and catering business? Uh, Bright Spot Cafe is what it's called. We were originally uh, out here in Chester Springs in Exton in a, a, a shopping center out here. Um, you know, and, and I did, right. And in, in March, right. The whole world shuts down. You're trying to figure out how to fix things and do whatever. And, uh, we found a, a, a new location that needed a kitchen and, uh, it's down in uh, Newtown square, a little place called Ellis preserve. And, uh, yeah, I mean, look, I'm brand new to the restaurant industry. I mean, look, if there's ever time to learn something, it's when all hell breaks loose. And, uh, <laughs> and so, uh, that's what I'm doing right now. So it's been six really exciting months. I work with great people. We serve great food. I get to eat tons of bacon and drink coffee, uh, two of my favorite things to do. So, so I'm really, really enjoying it. Uh, you know, football season is obviously busy enough for me, but uh, throwing a restaurant in the mix, uh, you know, and a pandemic uh, has made it uh, quite interesting for the last couple months. All right. And last question, I, I have to ask this guy. I'd be a horrible journalist if I didn't. Uh, the season's starting this week. Penn State has an eight-game regular season, then a Big Ten playoff game of some sort, and we assume a bowl game. So what's your prediction for this year? Oof, man, I, I, they're going to – I can't get them over – I can't get over the Ohio State game, right? And so, so for me, I said, you know, look, I, I think they lose to Ohio State. Uh, and then the only other game that scares me, I know it sounds crazy, and I think it's just because I've been burned so many times, uh, is I think we've got Michigan State late in the year somewhere. Yeah. And, yeah. Uh, you know, that, that one is one that for some reason the Nittany Lions just don't show up for. And, and I hope it's not the case this year. I, I, I've got them with one loss, uh, but they might slip up against Michigan State. And I think they go to a good ball game. I think we're close, but I just don't think we're ready. We're not at the level that Ohio State is yet. You know, we're just not. Now, I'm just going to go back and reemphasize what I said about Troutwine, the new O-line coach. If the O-line plays well, the O-line plays well, we've got a shot to beat Ohio State. But if we can't control the football, run the ball, put a game away, which is what's killed us a couple times against those guys in the fourth quarter, we can't beat them. And to me, that's all up and down. It's the O-line. So hopefully he comes out this year and him and Soraka, uh, you know, Phil Troutwine, they do a great job and get those boys rolling. It's a good group at the O-line. So, yeah, eight to seven to one, whatever it is. I don't know. I'm, I'm terrible at math. Um, you know, eight and one, we lose one. Uh, I was not a, not a math major at Penn State. Brandon, this has been awesome. Hopefully it's a fun season, even without fans in the stadium, that the Lions do make some new memories. Thanks much for doing this. Wow, Chad, this was awesome, man. Anytime, I'll come back. All right. Take care, man. Thanks, sir. All right. If you need insurance in the tri-state area, we've got the spot for you. It is Allstate Insurance in Westchester, Pennsylvania. I'll tell you, one of the best benefits of having an Allstate Insurance policy is getting a local agent like Dave Lavoie, who is dedicated to you. Building that personal relationship means you can work with someone who knows you and understands your family's needs, someone you can call when you have questions or need help. Dave is dedicated to protecting what is most important to you and your family. Call Dave today at Allstate in Westchester, Pennsylvania. The number is 610-430-0700. Once again, it's 610-430-0700. And, folks, he left us three years ago this week, but this guy would have been 70 years old yesterday. I'm talking, of course, about the great Tom Petty. Oh, yeah. Loved me some Tom Petty. Speaking of great rock and rollers, we lost a couple more in the last day or two. Spencer Davis, who founded the Spencer Davis Group in the mid-1960s and brought in a 15- or 16-year-old singer that you might know named Steve Winwood. They had the hits, I'm a Man and the Smash, Give Me Some Love, and what a great tune that was. Rest in peace, Spencer Davis. And you might not know this name, but I promise you, you will know the voice. The bass player and lead singer of the band The Outfield, who had a monster hit in the 1980s called Your Love. And I forgot to write his name down. Is it Tony Lewis? Shame on me. Anyway, uh, he's gone also. Just early 60s, I believe. That's a shame. Now, before we bring Freddie Burns in to talk Eagles, Sixers, and fantasy football... 
Something else I want to mention, Bill and I talked last week about the fact that my 96-year-old dad would be doing a Zoom interview the following day about his World War II experience, particularly his memories of the Battle of the Bulge, the winter of 1944-45. Well, it happened, and it went real well. We got great reaction to it, and if you're interested, you can find a link to his interview on my Facebook page, at Jim Chesko, or you can find the entire day's interviews from last Thursday and other events on this website vawarmemorial.org slash learn slash live streams. Again, vawarmemorial.org slash learn slash live streams. On a related note, I've gone to several Battle of Bulge reunions with my father over the years, the last uh, eight years or so. I've been to, I think, five or six of them. And we met a real nice guy from the Netherlands named uh, Nick Hendricks, who has lots of interest in the history of World War II and is grateful for the Allied forces having liberated the Netherlands from occupation by Nazi Germany. Well, Nick is also a guy who got the ball rolling on a terrific documentary that just this month became available to view in English on Amazon Prime Video in the U.S. It honors the fallen who are buried at Netherlands American Cemetery, and it is very well done. So if you're into uh, war history, it is uh, definitely worth checking out. It's called some will never return. And again, you can find it on Amazon Prime Video, so check it out. All right, it is Freddie Burns time, but for that, we need some music, of course. Freddie Burns, are you there? What up, Matt? <laughs> Fred, it's like the old days, no video. We don't have to look at each other. It's a beautiful thing. I know. Now I just I, I'm actually sitting in a chair here, but normally back before and even like when I first started doing this with you guys, I was always nervous. So I would just be pacing back and forth in my room, like <laughs> as I'm talking. Into them. <laughs> yeah, nothing to be nervous well, about I'm, anymore. I'm you know that. Good deal. <laughs> All right, Fred. Uh, before we talk fantasy football, I, I have this fantasy that the Eagles win the NFC East with a record of six, nine, and one, and then somehow win a playoff game or two. Am I nuts? You're not nuts because. Uh, I think that can be done. I think 7-8-1 and one can be done. And if, if they host a playoff game against the Chicago Bears, it's definitely winnable. All right, wouldn't that be awesome, Nick Foles against Carson Wentz in a playoff game? That would be amazing. I don't, I don't know if the city can handle that. Can they? <laughs> will, will half the stadium go with Bears stuff on? <laughs> oh, I don't think so. I don't think so. Uh, hey, our prediction, our prediction for the Eagles-Giants game will be coming up shortly. But first we're going to talk fantasy football. Uh, I'm sure you got some good advice again. Travis Fulgham looking like a great pickup for those who did pick up Travis. Zach Ertz, though, now going to be out of action for three or four weeks. So any good tight ends out there, Fred? And what else are you recommending? Well, it looks like Goddard might be might be coming back soon, not this week. But you definitely want to, I don't know, I guess Goddard, you probably didn't drop him, but he is the number one tight end to pick up right now. Maybe you did. Trey Burton, another a man from the Philly special, he's been – stepping it up the last couple of weeks for the Indianapolis Colts. And then tomorrow night, maybe, since Goddard's not playing as of now, you could even stream Richard Rodgers because the uh, Giants aren't very good against the tight end, so that could be a, a good matchup that the Eagles would expose. So there's your options there. All right, so what else do you have? What else can you recommend to everybody for week seven? Well, week seven at the quarterback spot, uh, Teddy Bridgewater is probably the guy. He's available in most leagues. He's got a great matchup this week. They're 32nd against the quarterback. Um, he should put up 20-plus points. Uh, moving to running back, a lot of places are are saying Boston Scott. Uh, if, you, if, if As a flex, I might do Boston Scott, but I, he hasn't looked good this year. His big games last year were against the Giants, so maybe he's an option. You also have Justin Jackson for the Chargers. He's splitting carries with Joshua Kelly. That's a great pickup. And then J.D. McKissick seems to be getting a lot of play with the Redskins. They're not that great of an offense, but they're, they're options to, you know, get you through this week. Uh, but yeah, wide receiver is the wide receiver position. Mike Williams, Travis Fogelman, like you said, if you didn't pick him up last week, get on the train now. Travis Fogelman is for real. Uh, Mike Williams is starting to look like the number one pick he was supposed to be. He's available in about 49% of leagues, so go grab him. I I know he's out again. People are getting frustrated, but grab Alshon Jeffrey and stash him. Um, 
he he is going to play at some point, and and he's going to be the, the best receiver on the field, is, is maybe besides Fogelman if he keeps it up. So he's a guy to grab and stash. And here's a name that's been rumored today, Antonio Brown. After week eight, he will be available. The Seahawks supposedly have strong interest. The Texans are rumored as well. If you can get Antonio Brown now and just sit him on your bench, you just might have walked into the best receiver in the league come week nine. So that's all I got for this week. I'll agree with you on Antonio Brown. Maybe worth a shot, but Alshon, I just don't see it. Even if he comes back, I have no faith in him doing anything for the Eagles. He was on pace for 90 catches last year when he got hurt. Yeah, but I don't know. We'll see. We'll see. Anyway, hey, before we uh, get to our predictions, Fred, let me talk about what we have going on at the Edge of Philly Sports Network. Uh, You can help me with this because you know about some of these shows. The Broad Street Bully podcast, Drew, Jeff, and Doyle talk Flyers hockey with some amazing guests and hilarious banter. We have Birds IQ. That's every Monday, 7 p.m. live. Kyle and Eric Quinn talking Birds football and reacting to the Eagles as they battle their way through the NFL. Lax Philly has Kevin and Gary and the team covering everything lacrosse from Philly and beyond with great articles, videos, and very soon a live show exclusively on EOPSports.com. Then there's this other little show called Edge of Philly Sports Live. I believe that happens at 9.30 Wednesday nights. You're a part of that, Fred, with Joe and uh, Big Al. you got a special guest on tonight, do you not? Special guest, Hollis Thomas. And uh, that's going to be exciting. He's going to call in. We're going to interview him. Very exciting stuff. He'll be at Dolan Bar in Delaware County. So that's part. they're part of the reason we got him on. Um, it should be exciting. I'm, I'm going to ask him about Joe Banner, I decided. I want to dig up some dirt from back in the day. <laughs> the tank, Hollis Thomas. All right. You can check out all the shows at eopsports.com and help us out by hitting those subscribe, follow, and like buttons. And as always, share with your friends and family. All right, it's predictions time, Fred, and uh, Mr. Burns, I gotta tell you, I picked up another game on you last week. We both lost with Green Bay, getting smoked by the Bucks. We didn't see that coming, but you did take the Eagles again, and they made it exciting, certainly, but they came up short, so through six weeks, you're still in the top spot at 18-7, and seven, but I am now just one game back at 17-8, and eight. so you getting nervous, Fred? Wait, did you say I picked the Eagles last week? Yeah, you did. I picked the Ravens. I'm, I'm, I, 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 we got to go look at the tape. I said there's no way possible that the Eagles can win this game. I have no, no way of. Huh. I'm pretty, pretty. And my, I'm pretty sure I picked the Ravens, but we yeah, work you know that what? out later. No, you know what? I think I do remember you saying that, but for some reason, I think I wrote down Eagles. So I think I do remember you saying that. So I will have to change this, and I will stand corrected because that that does sound right now that you mention it. All right. So this week, Fred, with a two-game lead, we'll say it. Um, we're going to do two non-NFC East games because it's uh, just two games if we don't. So we got a good one. Pittsburgh at Tennessee, the battle of the unbeatens. Who would have thunk that? And the Steelers, one-and-a-half-point favorites on the road at Tennessee. Who do you like? This one is so tough. This is a really good game. And and like you said, they're both undefeated. Tannehill is looking like the top five quarterback, top quarterback in the league. I'm going to go with the Titans here because – of Mike Rabel. Ben seems to struggle against the Patriots. Rabel was on that coaching staff a lot of the time, so that's why I'm going to go Titans, but I really think it could go either way. I agree, and I also picked the Titans just because. I don't know, home team, whatever. All right, we're going to take a Monday night football game. We talked about the Bears, Nick Foles and company. They are out west to play the Rams, L.A. a five-and-a-half-point favorite. Uh, we're just talking even up, though. Who do you like, Bears or Rams? I like the Rams here. I, I think the Bears are, are a fraudulent 5-1. and one. Uh, I, I kind of – it reminds me of that um, – what was that, 1990? That rich coat tight Eagles team that went like 7-2 and two, and then just all of a sudden the clip fell off and they lost 7 yeah. in a row. That's kind of what it reminds me of. So, I'm going Rams. I wrote that down, Rams. I also got the Rams. Uh, I'd like to see Nick Foles, you know, continue to do well, but I got to take the Rams at home also. All right, uh, not necessarily a, a big game or a great game, but it is a big game for the Eagles, of course. Dallas at Washington. Last time I checked, Dallas was a very, very slight favorite, but uh, certainly this one could go either way. Some uh, turmoil in Dallas, perhaps. Who do you like, Cowboys or the Washington football team? 
I'm going Cowboys. I, I don't know how to pick them or close to it or one-point favorite. I've seen two, like you said. Uh, Dallas had a terrible game Monday night, but, I mean, they got a lot of weapons. They're not that bad. So, I think the Cowboys beat the Reds or the Washington football team at least. I'm going Cowboys. You know what? I also picked the Cowboys, and that's mainly because I've picked them so many times this year, and they've lost almost every game that I've picked them to win. So, I'm hoping that happens again because even though, you know, Washington theoretically be in the race, I don't see that happening. So I would like to see Dallas lose. So I'm picking Dallas to win, and I hope that I'm wrong. And uh, the big one, Fred, for us, of course, Thursday night, we're not going to be watching the debate, although I will DVR the debate. Uh, The Giants and Eagles at the link. Last I looked, Eagles were four-and-a-half to five-point favorites. Who do you like? I like the Eagles big time in this one. I, I think they put up, you know, significant points, though they were trailing, so some of it was garbage yards against two good Steelers, the Steelers defense and the Ravens defense. Giants have an okay day. Their offense stinks. We're getting Lane back. We got the, we're getting Deshaun Jackson back. I, I think the Eagles win in a route 27-10 type thing, 27-13, let's say. I would love to see that. Uh, I do see the Eagles winning. Uh, hopefully Deshaun Jackson can stay healthy for four entire quarters. I'm not going to hold my breath. Uh, hopefully Traps <laughs> will have another nice game. Lane Johnson, you know, I thought they might keep him out another week. But uh, if he can go, he's certainly better than whatever other options. And I'm glad to see that they cut that uh, Jamon Brown because he was awful last week. So he is gone, the right guard from last week. Uh, I'm taking the Eagles 24-17, to 17, a little closer than you. Yeah, that, that guard was horrible. He, there was, Harson was running for his life, and he was fixing his gloves. That's crazy to be <laughs> yeah. an NFL player and doing that. And he even picked up a half sack on Carson when he kind of ran into him and made him a little <laughs> wobbly. So, yeah, good riddance. All right, <laughs> Eagles, Giants looking for <laughs> yeah, they should. Let's talk a little Sixers before you go, Fred. Uh, the Sixers made some intriguing front office moves the past week, hiring former Indiana Pacers senior vice president Peter Dinwiddie and Orlando Magic director of scouting Prosper Carangua to work alongside Elton Brand. Uh, they also hired an assistant coach, Dave Yorger, uh, who's said to be a defensive specialist. Good moves? I love all the moves. Uh, the, the Pacers and the Magic both I mean, they're not – like, the Pacers are always in it every year. It seems like they're always, they don't have stars, but they're always in that AC area. They develop players. And the Magic, they always have our number. They always seem to develop good players down there. Um, I think it's great they're bringing basketball guys in. We need analytics, but we not the way it was. We've got to move away from that. And then the coach that they hired, I, that's a great move too. Anything that Doc thinks, I think, as far as a coaching staff, is, I'm going to applaud. But this guy seems to be, you know – Doc's more of an offensive guy. This guy will bring the defense part of it, kind of like Thibodeau did for Doc with the Celtics. Yeah, and they also hired Jameer Nelson, who I guess is going to work a lot with the uh, the Delaware team, the development team. But uh, everybody says great things about Jameer Nelson. Yeah, I, I actually really am excited about that because I um, actually got to cover the, the Bluecoats about four games, like being, actually being able to interview players in the locker room, the coaches, and all that. And watching those games, what I noticed was they run the exact same system that Brett Brown was running up with the Sixers. So it was almost like players weren't being developed, in my opinion. They were just being stuck in in spots to, to be ready to come up if they needed them. I really didn't like that. I, I, didn't, I didn't get a good vibe from that. So I think Jameer Nelson may bring a whole different – I'm curious to see what, what that happens. Because I'll be down to a few games, and I want to see if they actually, you know – maybe take a player's strength and let's try to build on that as opposed to just sticking a round peg in a square hole or square pole in a round peg, however you say it. <laughs> I guess we still don't know when the new season is going to start, do we? They were talking first about Christmas, then they said maybe mid-January, like around President's Day. Have you heard anything? Yeah, the last the last they said was January 21st is the target date. So I think the goal is that they're not going to start it without fans because they can't afford – Another, not that they can't afford, but it would be a huge knock to start the games. With that. They need the revenue from the fans. It's, it's, it's needed to continue the league. Every once in a while I see rumors about them, the Sixers, perhaps considering a move of uh, either Joel Embiid or Ben Simmons. Do you say, see them doing that, you know, if somebody made them a great offer, or are they going to give it one full season 
with these two guys together yet? I think it's totally just ridiculous rumors to even say. I mean, Doc Rivers in his press conference even said these guys won 65% of the games together. It, it clearly works. They clearly work together. People just want to pick, and par- pick apart things. These guys are still young. I was on a chat earlier today, and they're like, oh, what would happen if the Sixers drafted Michael Jordan 84? And I'm like, we would have ran him out of town by 89 because <laughs> he didn't win a championship yet. Like, let's yeah. just calm down. <laughs> And let let let's let these guys develop. And and I mean, clearly they've gotten better every year. You could argue Joel and B took a little plateau this year, but you know, but I, I, if they did trade him, I would be furious. Yeah, me as well. Hey, what do you think about Stan Van Gundy getting back into coaching with New Orleans? Stan, yes, okay, yeah, Stan's the the one that was with the Magic. Yeah, I thought, I yeah, that makes sense. Was it, is it Stan or 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 Jeff? Which one? I forget. I thought it was Stan. I thought it was Stan that got back into it today. Uh, might, all I saw was Van Gundy. I didn't read the article, but he, I, if it's Stan, yeah, I like him. I always thought he was a good coach. I like how you know, you know, verbal he is with the media, and he seemed to be like during his games in the playoffs lobbying for each team, like the Sixers, like. He would be, like, breaking down. Like, now you see Joel's points here. It was almost like he was lobbying for the job. So, I, I like Stan Van Gundy. I don't know if he gets the Pelicans over the top, but he'll certainly develop those players to get them ready for the next le- next step, you know, with Zion and all them other guys down there. Yeah, and it definitely is Stan going to the Pelicans. So, uh, good luck, Mr. Van Gundy. All right, Fred, you've got a show to prepare for tonight. Say hello to the tank and uh, have a good one. Will do. See you. Go Birds. All right. See you, Fred. All right. Let's talk about the Irish Rover for a moment. Uh, The Irish Rover Station House in Langhorne, Bucks County, Pennsylvania. They are still offering outdoor patio seating as the weather permits. Not too bad out there yet this week. Uh, They also do have indoor seating as well, socially distant tables, of course, and in line with the state's limits regarding capacity. One thing that hasn't changed, still a great menu and a big slate of beers available. They are open for lunch daily, and their food is terrific. You know I'm a fan of their wings. I love the uh, sweet and spicy wings. Tasty. Uh, The Irish Rover Station House is on Bellevue Avenue in Langhorne. And you can check them out on the web at irishroverstationhouse.com. And I think I need to hear some more Tom Petty right about now. Gosh, I miss Tom Petty. Before we wrap it up, some random stuff. Uh, We almost never talk soccer here on Philly Press Box Radio, but... I've been to the stadium in Chester where the Philadelphia Union play, and it is a great place. I honestly didn't realize till a few days ago that it's not Talon Energy Stadium any longer. It's apparently now Subaru Park. Hey, who knew? Whatever pays the bills, though, right? Uh, but anyway, the Union is having a great season, 11-3-5, and and they have a match against Toronto FC this Saturday, which will be a battle for first place in the East. So good luck to the Union. There, there we talk soccer for you. How about that? We lost a couple more notables in the sports world in recent days, NFL Hall of Famer Fred Dean and longtime Associated Press writer and Philly basketball legend Jack Shure, known to all who went to games at the Palestra over the last five decades. Jack Shure died last week at the age of 87. Plus a couple of surprising retirements, caught me off guard anyway. The great hockey play-by-play man Mike Doc Emmerich announced that he is calling it quits. I remember Doc Emmerich from his prism days back in the 1980s. Uh, Prism, the TV channel, not Prison. He was not in prison, uh, in case you younger kids don't remember Prism. Uh, he was on there doing hockey. Now he's a great national hockey announcer, or at least he was. He's retiring. Certainly one of the best ever, Doc Emmerich. And this one really came out of nowhere. Phillies pitching coach Brian Price, who was in the role just one year, this one abbreviated season, called Joe Girardi Sunday and said, yeah, I'm done. I've had enough said he just wants to spend more time with his family, but I can't help think that there's more to it than that. He's just 58. Why would you bail at age 58 in you know a sport that you've been in for so many years? I think there's more to the eye than meets the story, but who knows? Anyway, Phillies need another pitching coach. They've had like five of them in the past five or six years, and now they need a new one. All right. Remember to please check out our YouTube channel. Video versions of our shows since the spring are all there, plus lots of other cool stuff. Go to YouTube and subscribe to Philly 
Press Box Radio. You're probably wondering who's visiting Philly Press Box Radio next week. Well, I can confirm, it just happened a couple hours ago, that we will have Kevin Riley joining us. Kevin Riley, one of our favorites. He's been with us like 15 times over the last five years. Great guy. He can talk Eagles football and much more. He's a motivational speaker, after all. So maybe we'll uh, get him to motivate all our listeners to doing something here in this awful year of 2020. Always good to talk football and more with Kevin Riley, and he will be here with us next week, as will Freddie Burns, to uh, make his picks and his fantasy football advice. I should mention the World Series is underway. I watched part of the game last night. The Dodgers, of course, the heavy favorites, and they looked like they should be last night. I mean, they've got, what, the highest payroll in baseball. The Tampa Rays have one of the lowest. I'm rooting for the Rays. I always like the underdog story, but the Dodgers won easily in game one. Hopefully the Rays can get back in it. We shall see. A lot of people not watching. They call it the Fall Classic, but that doesn't mean that we have to watch. And a lot of people are choosing to tune out, just like all the other sports this summer and fall. People just aren't going back to watching them like they used to. Ratings for Game 1, according to Nielsen, the lowest in history, the lowest since they've been tracking these things since the 1960s, down 25% from last year's Game 1, and that was nothing special either. So, uh, yeah, just I think 9.2 million people watched Game 1 of the World Series. Yikes. All right, that's enough. I'm hungry. i got to go. Uh, again, condolences to Bill Furman and his family on the loss of Bill's mom. Our thoughts are certainly with you, Bill. Hopefully you'll be back with us next week. All right. With that, we've reached almost the top of the hour. We'd like to thank special guests, Brandon Noble. It wasn't Brandon great. And Freddie Burns. And uh, Chris Furman not here tonight either, of course. That's Bill's son. He, too, is uh, taking care of business on the home front. Thank also the Irish Rover Station House, Bob Sullivan's LikeYourAge.com, PPCC118RASROOM, and Dave Lavoy of Allstate Insurance in Westchester. Thank all of them for their continued support of the show. For Bill Furman, this is Jim Chet Chesko. We hope you enjoyed the show and will join us again next week, Wednesday the 28th. No Halloween costume is required. Uh, you can find us on our website, phillypressboxradio.com, on blogtalkradio.com, Philly Press Box Radio, um, oh, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, TuneIn, Bullhorn, a whole bunch of other places as well. Have a great week. Stay well, everybody. High hopes, Philadelphia sports fans, and go Birds. <laughs>